0: What? No enthusiasm there. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Wonder why? (laughs) You know, in Luke's gospel, those who would be Jesus' disciples are confronted with some pretty challenging expectations. In Luke 9, for example, Jesus appears to warn a would be disciple that following him means being without a place to lay his head, being homeless. And then he goes on to reject another potential follower because the man wants to say goodbye to his family. In Luke 14, Jesus tells the crowd that being a disciple means hating one's family, carrying a cross, and giving up all possessions, and suggests that they would do well to count the cost of discipleship before they decide to follow him. The instructions that Luke places just before today's texts are of a similar nature. First of all, Jesus warns the disciples to take care not to cause another to stumble. Be on your guard, he tells them. And then he tells them that if a fellow disciple sins, they should rebuke him or her. And if that person repents, they must forgive. And if that same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times a day and say, I repent, he tells them, you must forgive. It's no wonder then that disciples turned him in desperation and say, increase our faith among us have as, has not asked for similar help following christ is challenging and all of us have times when our faith seems to be in really short supply when we feel that we're just going through the motions when we are overwhelmed by doubts and fears maybe you feel that way right now if so you are in very good company indeed that the disciples recognize that they need help is encouraging, which is why Jesus' response to them seems particularly harsh. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, he tells them, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Someone once gave me this tiny little bottle, and inside of it, is an even tinier little mustard seed way down here at the bottom. And yeah, it's really small. So is Jesus rebuking the disciples for not having even this much faith? Sure sounds like it. To add to the confusion, Jesus goes on to offer an analogy that is particularly disturbing. Who among you, he asked the disciples, would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? The answer, obviously, is no one, nor would anyone thank a slave for doing their duty. And then Jesus turns the whole thing on his ear. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done. That Jesus feels comfortable, seems to feel comfortable with the practice of slavery is troubling enough. for him to, But for him to imply that discipleship is nothing more than thankless dr- drudgery just doesn't seem right. Does he think of the men and women who follow him as worthless slaves? Surely not. Yet this master-slave analogy sounds an awful lot like yet another rebuke. I have to admit that when I read this passage um, and started to think about this sermon, I was, well, I was dismayed. <laughs> it certainly isn't very encouraging, and I find myself wanting to make excuses for Jesus' attitude. Um, um, maybe as a uh, blogger Debbie Thomas suggests, Uh, This is just another example of Jesus' youth of hyperbole, that all this talk of uh, mustard seeds and mulberry trees and slaves is just kind of an exaggeration, something that Jesus is using to make a point. Or, Or maybe translating the Greek word doulos as servant, not slave, which is sometimes how it's translated in the Bible would make Jesus' words a little more palatable. Think Doubt and Abbey instead of Cottonfields. Or maybe these two texts aren't connected at all. Uh, Maybe Luke just sort of stuck them together. I mean, after all, in the New Revised Standard Version, these verses come under the heading of some sayings of Jesus. Regardless of what I think of Jesus' words, though, the disciples' request increase our faith still hits home so let's look at that for a moment what do the disciples mean by faith and more importantly what do we mean when we say faith Sometimes I think we we think of faith as a a belief, in particular belief in a set of propositions or a a doctrine. It's like when we recite the Apostles' Creed or another creed in church, that's faith because we believe in the things we're saying. Sometimes we think of faith as something that we are supposed to work at, something we can improve if only we would pray more or read the Bible more or go to church more. Couldn't hurt. Sometimes we think of faith as an ability to tap into divine power. If we had enough faith, then maybe we could get that mulberry plant to move somewhere. And sometimes we think of faith as certainty, an antidote to anxiety or doubt. Regardless of our definition, though, I I think we tend to think of faith in terms of quantity, that if we only had enough faith then we would be able to live in Christ-like ways, that we would be able to to do more, to, to be more Christian, to be more something. Increase our faith, we plead, along with the disciples. What if Jesus is trying to tell us something different? What if Jesus is trying to tell his disciples and us that faith isn't a matter of quantity at all what if Jesus is redirecting our feelings away from our attention away from our feelings of inadequacy and toward God's sufficiency what if he's saying look you don't need more faith you've already got it you have it because you know me because you've been with me because you are mine and I am yours I think that Jesus is trying to tell the disciples that faith is not a what, but a way. Not a noun, but a verb. Faith is trusting that God has already given you what you need and then acting on that trust. It's not something that we possess or that we achieve or that we believe. It's something that we live out. In other words, having faith means being faithful not just under extraordinary circumstances but in the midst of everyday life while we are doing what needs to be done in the midst of plowing the field or tending the sheep in Jesus day and in the midst of running errands or caring for children or going to work or listening to a friend or serving on a committee in our day I like the way that theologian David Lose puts it he writes this Faith is not found in the mighty acts of heaven, but in the ordinary and everyday acts of doing what needs to be done, responding to the needs around us and caring for the people who come our way, showing up for work and doing a good job, listening when someone needs to talk, getting the kids off to school. Sitting with someone in the cafeteria who looks like they could use a friend. Volunteering at a local homeless shelter. Voting even if the field of candidates seems discouraging. Balancing the books for your business or a community group. Writing a thank you note to someone who's done a kindness. Cooking supper. Praying for a neighbor who's having a hard time. The list could go on. And that's the point. None of these is any big deal, and yet it is just these kinds of acts that occupy so much of our lives. Somehow an act of faith, he goes on, seems like it needs to be significant or costly or even extravagant to merit God's attention. And it's that, that misperception isn't really new. Martin Luther, writing 500 years ago, once extolled the virtue of a father changing diapers I would never have thought this, emphasizing father because that was so extreme, extremely rare and probably considered unbecoming at the time. And he wrote this: When a father goes ahead and washes diaper or performs some other menial chas- ch- excuse me task for his child, and someone ridicules him as an effeminate fool, God, with all his angels and creatures, is smiling. Lowe suggests another way for us to think about this. Just for a moment, I want you to remember one helpful thing that you did in the past week. One helpful thing you did as a parent of a child or teacher of children, as a a child of aging parents, an employee or employer, a spouse or a friend, a citizen or a volunteer. What was one helpful thing that you did? And I know you all did at least one. Got it in your head? Not keep thinking. I know you've done this. One helpful thing. Now, if we counted up all of those helpful things, it would be a pretty good number. It would be a pretty good number. Now, imagine what the world would be like if we hadn't done those things. just those one helpful things. Would have made a difference, wouldn't it? And I think that's especially true because I suspect that each person here has done more than just one helpful thing this past week. All those helpful things that we've done have made a difference in the world. And now imagine what the week to come will be like if each of us is just as faithful as we have been this past week, and a little more, together we can make, will make, an even greater difference in our community, in our families, in the world. And I say, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Now, if you're still troubled by the idea that Faith is nothing more than dutiful and obedient service. Consider this. you serve a master who not only expects us to obey, to be faithful, but also gives us all that we need to do so as a gift, as grace, and who will use our tiny mustard seeds of faith to make a difference in others' lives and ultimately to transform the world. And consider this. The master whom we serve is one who had this to say when his disciples argued about which one of them was the greatest. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I, I am among you as one who serves. In the end, Jesus did not call his disciples slaves. In the end, he called them friends. And on the night that we will remember as we gather around his table, he knelt before them and washed their feet. This is the one whom we follow. This is the one in whom we trust. And this is the one who has faith in our faithfulness and who calls us as members of his body to serve as he did. Not for reward, but for love. May it be so. Amen.